Welcome to Mercy Hill Church. My name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a joy to be with you all to worship, to hear from God's Word together. And uh, I, I love what God is doing in our church, and I'm excited for this season, more than I've been in recent years. I think I said this uh, last year. Um, a lot of times, I'm not, I'm not that into Christmas. It's, uh, <laughs> I just got to look like, what? I'm the worst pastor ever, right? You can't say that. But there's, you know, there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of things that happen around Christmas, and it just, the, the, it's like you, you kind of push the sled down the hill, and it gets moving, and then it's busy, and it's expensive, and it's all the stuff that distracts us from the beauty, the beauty that is the coming of our Savior. And so last week, um, we started the series. We've uh, given it a byline this year, our Advent series of The Weary World Rejoices. Talked last week how Advent is all about the waiting. It's all about anticipation. Advent is really all about like there's a notable person coming like a king. And so we are anticipating the arrival of this notable person. And when you're weary, when you're wore out, when you're tired, you can feel like what's the use in some of this time? Will it ever happen, we talked about last week, right? Will it ever come to pass? We are also waiting. We now on this side of the manger, on this side of the cross, we are waiting for the return of that king. When he comes back for his church, when he calls us to himself, when our faith becomes sight, we have this blessed hope of Jesus, eternal life, his return for us, his people Christ is the only hope of the world, as we talked about last week. We see it. We know it. I said that 2020 and 2021 has made us well aware. The one blessing of these last two years has been that it has shaken the foundations of the world. If you have hoped in anything outside of Christ, I hope that you've been shaken to your core. That is a blessing that we wouldn't continue on in hoping in the things of this world or the systems of man. But in a pandemic, in a pretty crazy political cycle, in some of the social justice things and craziness happening around the country, protests, riots, whatever it was, it really shook some of the foundations or some of the things that we hope in. You've seen the systems of man are broken, they're flawed, and they're insufficient. So if you've hoped in them, you've been left with nothing but despair. Government, even our government, even our beautiful democratic republic is flawed because of corrupt people. Our other systems, our educational systems, it's, it's flawed because of corrupt morals and values. Sin has corrupted all of the systems of man, the best systems we've come up with, are woefully broken. And if you trust in them, the only thing you're left with, if you hope in them, the only thing you're left with is despair. And I'm suspicious that's by design. By a God who loves us. By a God who wants us to see and behold the Christ that we would look upon him, that we would put our faith and trust and hope in him and find eternal life. 
God by his grace. By the whisper of his Holy Spirit, he draws the hearts of men whom he is choosing as his possession, as we read last week. He's drawing us graciously away from the world, away from darkness, and into his light. Away from despair and into hope, which is himself. When we go through these, these different, uh, these different uh, topics in Advent, like hope or love or joy or peace or any of that stuff, please understand that these aren't just um, characteristics or feelings or, or uh, senses that we get because of Jesus, which they are, right? We have hope in this life because of Christ. But don't depersonalize any of those. All of those things. Jesus Christ is not the thing that gives me hope. He is my hope. Jesus Christ isn't the thing that shows me love or, or the person that just merely shows me love, but he himself is love. He's not just my peace. He's not just, or excuse me, he's not just the thing that gives me a sense of peace, but he himself is my peace. Puts me in right relationship with a holy God that I in myself cannot approach because he's so holy and I am so not. But Christ, who's my righteousness, not just makes me right, but is my righteousness. He allows me, when I put my faith and trust and my hope in him, it affords me the great joy and privilege to be reconciled back to my God, that I could stand in his presence, not because of me, because of he. It's beautiful. So don't depersonalize any of these topics over the next few weeks. Christ is our hope, and he's not just a buoy to get through this life. Although, I don't know how people get through this life without Christ. You ever just, like sat back and go like, no wonder all this stuff is on the rise. Depression, substance abuse, suicide. Like, no, like, I don't understand how people do it. Jesus is the rock. He's the rock of our salvation. He's our hope and stay. He's the hope of a, uh, in this life. He's the hope in this life, but he is the blessed hope for eternal life. As we read last week in Titus chapter 2. And the beautiful thing about hope, I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but I did, I know, in previous Advent sermons that I've done. The thing about hope is this. For us as believers, our hope found in Christ, founded in Christ, established in Christ, isn't this fingers crossed kind of hope. It is something that is so sure because it says so in the word of God. You realize how immovable the word of God is? How sure it is? Like even when you look at this, in, in this Christmas season, you look at uh, a lot of messianic prophecies, whether it be in Isaiah or Jeremiah, whatever it might be. And we've talked about it in the past. The sheer amount of prophecies that are fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. All of those hundreds of prophecies that are fulfilled in one, one coming, one advent, supports the truthfulness of God's steadfast word. 
We don't cross our fingers and go, oh, I hope so. It is true. Everything he said, everything he says, everything he has said about himself and everything he says about you, it is true. So today, um, <clears throat> well, actually last week, a portion of it, a portion of my sermon, we were, we were talking about hope. And uh, a portion of my sermon, I, I carved out to challenge us. Right? Us, the church, those of us who have experienced the hope of Christ and are experiencing it every day. We, I challenged us in our waiting, right? We're waiting now for the return of Christ. And I challenged us in our living that we would live in the light of the return of Christ. And I wonder if we even have that in our mindset. Like when you wake up in the morning, do you even go, oh man, maybe he's coming back today? Probably not. Maybe today's the day. Like, if you woke up and thought that, wouldn't you just be like, oh, man, today could be the day. Today could be the day that my faith becomes sight. Today could be the day that, that all the, the woes of this world and the pains that I feel, and you woke up with that crick in your neck, that crick in your neck is sin, by the way. Not that you're, like, in sin or whatever, just the results of sin and the, the de decay of this 40-year-old body. That I wake up sore. What is that all about? I used to work out and wake up sore. Now I just wake up sore. Because of sin. Today could be the day. We might not make it home today. Not because we're going to slide off the road because we just had a, you know, a little blizzard. But he could come. Today could be the day. That should fill us with excitement. Are we waiting well? That was the challenge last week. Are we waiting with an urgency and an ex excitement of his return and understanding that he's commissioned us and included us in his plan to save the world? Last week I said that. Like, we are the hope of the world. Jesus is, I know. But his plan was to ignite his church with his Holy Spirit to unzip his people and to climb inside of them, to dwell within his people, to give us that hope and a blessed hope of his return that we would go out in power to hold out the hope of Jesus. That's his plan. There's no other plan. His plan is outlined in scripture. Go into the world. Make disciples. Preach the good news. Establish the kingdom of God. Go out there and hold out the hope of of Christ. Are we waiting well? So that was the challenge last week. This week, we're focusing in on love. If you have your Bible, you want to turn to 1 John chapter 4. Very familiar passage of scripture. I have a hard time reading this passage without singing a kid's song in my heart. So if you do it, that's fine too. Sing, sing the kid's song. 1 John 4, 7, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love comes from God, and everyone uh, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know God, does not love, excuse my, I, I'm having a hard time reading right now. Anyone who does not love does not know God because what? Because God is love. Keep going. Verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us 
and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Let's pray before we do anything else. God, again, we come before you, and I pray for soft hearts. I pray for soft, humble hearts. Soft before your word, soft before your Holy Spirit. God, that we might receive and experience your deep, deep love. And that, that love would compel us to live and wait for your return, that we would wait well. Sharing the love of Jesus, not with mere words, just simply trying to describe this beautiful love, but with bold and humble and sacrificial, me-ending action. Help us, oh God. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Love can be hard to define, like to truly define. We have a lot of ways that we describe love, and even the word love itself, we use it in so many different ways. And I was reading a commentary this week, and I came across a list, and it was, it's funny that it was like listed in this commentary, uh, a list of kids who were asked what love is. And these kids gave some of the cutest answers. Like, I was in a coffee shop reading this, and I'm just like, aw, aw. So Chrissy, age six, says this, love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your French fries without making them give you any of theirs. Sounds like love to me. Love is what makes you smile when you are tired. That's Terry, age four. Aw, see, right there. Danny, age seven, says, love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy, and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure that it tastes okay. <laughs> Noel, age seven, says, love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt, and he wears it every day. It's pretty awesome. Anne, age four, May Anne, says this, love is when your puppy licks your face even after you left him alone all day. You got a puppy that does that. Karen, age seven, says, when you love somebody, your eyelashes go up and down and little stars come out of you. It's pretty cute. Jessica, age seven, says, you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot. People forget. Uh, Rebecca, age eight, says, when my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love, right? Uh seriously. It's sometimes hard to truly define love, but when we see it, when we experience it, we know it. It's hard to describe. Like the words that we use to describe love and the way that we use our modern word of love is it, it can gut the depth of what God intended. Have you ever noticed how, like, the world is struggling to hold on to truth? That the world is struggling to hold on to established definitions and, and norms? It seems like every time I have a conversation these days, I need to stop and have, like, a definition of terms before we get too far into it. Like, we're using the same words I don't know if they're meaning the same thing. You've got a different definite, like you have to like level set. What are we talking about? Okay. Because I feel like the world 
society is struggling to hold on to truth and definition. Things in society that once were thought as fixed or universally understood are now soft and fluid. And we're seeing it in nearly everything. If you look at relationships, especially with relationships, marriage in this world is, the world is attempting to redefine it. Sexuality, we are attempting to redefine it. Even something as once thought in the world of science as so fixed like gender. We're attempting to redefine it, to destruct it, to redefine some things that just seem so fixed at one point. In our Best Laid Plan series, we, we looked at some of this. We talked about this great designer with this great design. We have the design of God displayed for us in the Word of God. It's not as mysterious. God's will is not as mysterious as we make it out to be. And he has this great design, not just for the good of mankind. Yes, it's partly that. But this design is for our good, but also his glory, his his, his um character in nature to shine through. So remember, much of what we experience in this life are meant as reflections or shadows of things that are eternal. The idea of marriage, we, we, we know this, we've talked about this often. Marriage is not, a, a marriage between one man and one woman forever in a covenanted relationship is not just for your happiness which I promise you, like, if you live in accordance with God's word as a husband and a wife, it's going to be pretty awesome. But it's for a reflection as Christ and the church. It's a reflection of the gospel. It's a reflection of eternal things, more important things. He is the one who establishes and defines things like relationship. But he's the one who defines and establishes all things. And I'm very, very grateful for this. When the world just constantly feels like it's moving, isn't it so great to have a God who doesn't change? Like if you, if you try to sink your teeth into, your, put your hope in anything, it just moves. Tomorrow it's different. Tomorrow it's going to be different. But Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. He establishes and defines all things and love. Even love. And I say that, and I know you know this. It's really tough sometimes to go walk into a scripture like 1 John 4, 7, 8, 9, 10, and to go, what am I going to say that's new? <laughs> what am I going to say that's going to grab your heart today and go, Ah, create that ah moment. That was a worthwhile sermon. Because you know this. I've been challenged this week. I'm going, is my love defined by God? Like, is my love, like, I, in theory, in words, yes. In action, in living, which is truly what love is, Come up a little short. So we're going to look at this today. Defining love is difficult. Putting 
into words exactly what love is, is very, very tough. You've probably heard examples uh, proving this point, uh, and I, I may have used these examples before, and, I, and if I did, I'm, I apologize. I, 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 tr- I truly apologize. But we say, like, we love our, I love my wife. Ask my kids who the, my favorite person is, and they will tell you it's my wife. It, I love my wife, but I also love chicken wings. There's a group of guys here. Ask them, okay? We're, we're on, we're, we're, we are pursuing the best chicken wings in southeastern Wisconsin. We say we love the Green Bay Packers. What are you going to do with your extra three and a half hours today now that they're on by? Huh? What are you going to do with the, the extra time that you have today? We have, like, favorite pajamas that we love. See, that's kind of my point. Like, this emotion or experience or it's, it's even hard to describe in that. This act that incites appreciation and joy and gratitude and elation. This love is hard to put into words. And the flippant use of these modern words, the modern word of love, can cheapen and downplay the actual meaning, the actual intended experience of our great, faithful, steadfast, never-changing God. When he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as you, like this is all of the law fulfilled, summed up in these two commands I better know what that love looks like. And it's not, I love chicken wings. Advent, Christmas time, the coming of our Savior can beautifully clarify and bring back into focus what God has defined as love. And in light of that, I hope and I pray that we too can manifest that we can live out the love that God has established. Live out the real love, the God-defined, established love, not just for peace on earth or peace in our homes or peace in our marriage or with our kids. And that's part of it. But live a true God-defined love again for the salvation of mankind. I'm going to keep driving this home. This, this year, my Advent series uh, is a little bit different because I want us to see the beautiful mission in Advent. When I said last week, like, this is like the start of every good 80s movie where you have a ragtag group uh, of, of unlikely heroes that's about to go and save the world, that's us. That's the church. Like, yes, like, I, we got nothing. We got nothing to give except Jesus, but we got Jesus. And we've been commissioned by him. Same thing with this love. If we are promoting or sharing or living a love that is not a love, a God-defined love, it's no reason that the world has trouble believing. But if we can get to and boldly and humbly live a God-defined, established love, and we see it so beautifully in Christmas, it's literally revolutionary. It is literally world-changing. It changed mine. Did it change yours? I was once dead. I was once dead. And because of the love of Christ, I'm now alive and will live forever, 
not because of me, not because I deserved it, not because I was good, but because of his unending, steadfast, never-changing love for the world. That's Christmas. That's the type of God-defined love that we're talking about. That's the type of God-defined love that he, his church, that he has purchased with his blood, which, by the way, is a beautiful evidence of his love, that his church is supposed to be marked with. And when the world looks at this, this holy huddle, they would see this beautiful God-defined love and not some fleshly, made-up, ugly, selfish version of it. Again, let's read our text. First <clears throat> John 4, 7 through 10. Actually, I, I need it again. Sorry, I don't have my page out here. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and ever, uh, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world, Christmas, so that we might live through him. In this, the love, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son, Christmas, to be the perpetuation for our sins. God is love. And since we serve a triune God, Christ, the Emmanuel, God with us, God who has come down, this Jesus is himself love. And I think we know that. I think we have an understanding of that. But I don't know if we, like, truly, truly grasp it. He himself is love. His person is love. His nature, his essence is love. He is love, and thus he defines love. He's not just defining something that is outside of himself, but he himself defines it just by being, by existing, he defines it. Which means that whatever God does, God is loving, and again, it's tough to understand because we look at the Old Testament, and it's almost like, like, is there this like bipolar nature? Like you have the God of the Old Testament who seems like a little bit more angry than the God of the New Testament. Everybody ever thought that? Like how does this all fit and work together? Old Testament, he can be a bit wrathful and strict with the rules. But in the New Testament, God seems to lighten up a bit. You know, we think of hippie Jesus, full of grace and love, peace, man. But it is all him. He doesn't shelf his love when he's ticked off and torches a couple of cities. It's a different message for a different time, actually. But his judgments and some of the things that we see and struggle with in the Old Testament, his judgments are right and true because righteousness and truth are defined in him. They are in beautiful harmony with his love because it's found and defined in him. In saving and redeeming the world, those who would see him, behold him, repent and believe on him, even though they were so absolutely deserving of hell and wrath of God, that stuff that, we, that makes us uncomfortable in the Old Testament, but so beautifully in harmony with who God is. 
who this great, gracious redeemer is, who this gracious, merciful God is, in whom he defines all of that as well. He saves and redeems his people, who are still undeserving, by the way, because he is love. Because he is love. And in Christmas, God shows us, hopefully a little clearer, his definition of what love looks like. Our text, once again, in verse 9, it says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation of our sins. God sent by nature. God defined love is this. Okay, if you want to write, you can write this down. If you guys are note takers, you guys are note takers. I know you guys. The love of God is reaching by nature because God sent his son. It is reaching. You look at the costly nature of this, look at how far it reaches from heaven to earth. From an exalted, glorious throne where God dwells in unapproachable lights, a place of perfect place of peace, a place where there's no sin, no discord, a home that is perfect and holy. From that place to earth, to darkness, to hurt, to pain, where sin is corrupted, not just deeds and acts, but where sin has corrupted natures, Jesus goes from throne to manger, from a feeding trough, because he is love. Christ put on flesh, right? John 1. Dwelt among us, made his dwelling among us because of love. Because God so loved the world, Christmas brings clarity to God-defined love that it reaches, it reaches across the greatest of separations. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. It reaches. The biggest chasm, the greatest depths where you and I would be helpless to cross that chasm, Christ himself has done it. Romans 8, 31 through 39, just to remind you guys. What then shall we say to these things? For if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Man. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. God himself is praying for us. 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation or distress, persecutions, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, as it is written. For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to, uh, to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor angels, nor rulers, or things present, or things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Beautiful. God-defined love reaches. We didn't reach. We didn't reach out. He reached across the greatest of divides. The sinless coming down to a sin-filled world from heaven down to earth. That's God-defined reaching love. That's how God loves you. That's how big and grand his love is for you. We always talk about the sacrifice of Christ. We're going to talk about sacrifice in just a minute. And being the cross, right, where he goes to the cross and dies a brutal death. But it starts in that manger. When he left heaven, came down, experienced everything you experience. An eternal God who is able to sympathize. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you're going through. He loves you so much that he did that. He came down Christmas. Is our love God-defined love? Is our love for each other, for each other in this room, in this church, that kind of love? Is our love for the world, for the lost, for our coworkers, for our family members who think and believe differently than us, is it that kind of reaching love? Does it have boundaries? How far does our love go? When does it not become worth it enough to reach? When does our selfless love have a self-preserving barrier? I want my love, I want our love, I want this church to be marked by a God-defined, reaching love. As we said, it's God's design, God's plan for the salvation of the world is his church. And dwelt by him, empowered by his spirit, holding out the hope and the love of Jesus. It's not in our own strength. It's not in our own doing. Because of him and the Holy Spirit, we are compelled. The love of Christ controls us, it says in 1 Corinthians 5. That love drives us to be ambassadors for Christ. Ministers of reconciliation, the reconciliation that we've already received in him today. I implore you, be filled. Keep reaching. No walls, no barriers. Let your love be a God-defined love. The other characteristic of a God-defined love that I want to touch on today, and I've already made mention of it, it's displayed in Christmas in the coming of Christ in the Advent, but especially in his death. And that characteristic is the self-ending sacrificial nature to love. We know this, right? We know what love is supposed to be. People say the antithesis of love is hate so many times, but kind of think that it's selfishness. Me-centered, self-preserving. 
I have the great joy to be in a lot of people's lives. I have the um, unfortunate joy. There is still some joy in it that I'm able to be in people's lives this way. But also, sometimes I have to, like, sit down with couples. Help them talk through their marriage. Like, selfishness is the cancer to society, but to love. You can see when more than reaching out, more than giving of myself, I feel like I have to protect myself and to turn in on myself. We think of salvation, or excuse me, uh, selfishness so, so many times as, as just like this kind of, uh, like, but sometimes it's just like I feel like I have to protect myself because I've been so wounded and hurt. And we can turn in on ourselves and get selfish, which then we are not loving. And so it's, it's a little masked. It's a little tough sometimes, and it's understandable sometimes that we would respond that way and act that way. But the love of Christ hopefully can eclipse that, that we can see how deeply loved we are and that we can put ourselves out there one more time. Not turn in on ourselves, but put ourselves out there one more time to, to, to be selfless one more time for the sake of the other person and the glory of Christ. Do you have people in your life that you would take a bullet for? When you talk in those terms, there's kind of like this romanticized, like movie-esque feel to that. Like, oh, yeah, bro, I'd take a bullet for you. You ever like been at a, like, at a wedding or something and, like, and people have had a little bit too much to drink? I hate, they're the most awkward situations ever. Like, because I, I, I'm not a big drinker. I've never been drunk. Like, and so, like, have you ever been around, like, people who are, like, had a little too much, and then they get real loving? Dude, bro, I love you. I love you, dude. Oh, I love you, man. Like, you ever been around that guy? Dude, I'd take a bullet for you, man. Like, there's, like, this romanticized, like, movie kind of thing. Like, I know that love is sacrificial. I know that I'm supposed to lay down my life for my friend, bro. And if it came to it, I'd take a bullet for you, man. John chapter 15, verse 12. This is where that comes from. This, this is my commandment that you love one another. There's another kid song that just pops into my head. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friend. You, if, uh, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, which means that we know what he's doing. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Greater love. There's not a greater love than to lay down life for your friends. And when you speak of it in that romanticized, yeah, dude, I'd die for you. I'd take a bullet for you. It seems like something that we can say, seems like something we can feel, because in the literal sense, it's probably never going to happen. In the li- like, in the like, we romanticize it that way because we'll never ever have the opportunity, probably, to take a bullet for somebody else, to die for somebody. 
but God defined love confronts me every day when I look at it in a, in a self-sacrificial way. In a will sense, in a he over me sense, in a his will over my will, his purpose over my ambition sense, I'm confronted with what God-defined love is supposed to look like. Our life, our version of our life, what we love in this life gets in the way of sacrificial love that the church of Jesus is supposed to be marked with. When we romanticize it like, yeah, I would die for you, I think we're missing it because there's so much in our life that we could and should lay down for the sake of our brothers and sisters. What is it in our lives that gets in the way from us serving one another? I'm too busy. It's not even on my radar. If it pops up in my face, maybe I will. But that reaching love that we just talked about, that ends myself, sacrifice, maybe I should be looking for that opportunity a little more than I do. How can I end myself right here? How can I serve these people better? How can I serve my spouse better? A lot of times we make excuses. You don't understand. It's hard to do that because they've done this to me. It's hard to do that because they act like this. Or it's hard to do this because we have nothing in common. Political side of the spectrum, they're way over here and I'm way over there. Every Christmas, it's awkward because we are just not compatible. We're just not on the same page. Do you know who's not on the same page? God and sinners. Like that chasm is what Jesus crossed. And he laid himself down and ended himself because he's love. Like that's how incompatible we are with God. Save Jesus. He reached, and he emptied himself, became obedient to the Father to the end of himself on the cross. I don't care how far and how different, uh, whether it's political spectrum or whatever it is, lifestyle, whatever, you, your difference between your loved ones, your friends, your family, who are you going to run into at Christmas time, is not that different. Not as different as God and you. And Jesus reached and emptied himself because he's love. That same love is what marks us. That same love, that's, I, when I'm confronted with this, I look at what I say love is and I go, I have no clue what love is. I talk about love. I try to describe love. I say it, but then I look at the reflection of my life and my living and I go, that's my my love is selfish. It's convenient. I, if, if the church is marked by that fleshly love, it's no wonder the world doesn't believe. But if we are marked with a God-defined love, displayed in Christmas, displayed on the cross, how potent is that church?
where we would reach across whatever chasm or borders for the sake of their soul. That we would end ourselves, that it wouldn't just be a convenience thing, but that we would actively lay ourselves down so that they would see Jesus. We've experienced the love of God, and we were so undeserving. Romans chapter 5 reminds us of that. Verse 6 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't look at us and go, Ah, oh, yeah, but they don't deserve, like, they're, you don't understand. They've done this. You don't understand. They're so this. They're so... He died for the ungodly, for no one will, for, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even to die. But God shows his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you, Jesus. Today, the challenge again, is your love God-defined love? And before you say yes too quickly, examine your life. Is that love God displayed love? God manifests love like he manifested by sending his son, reaching, reaching across the greatest of chasms and then sacrifice. That he sacrificed himself for us. You'll probably never have an opportunity to die for somebody, to literally die for somebody. Every moment of every day, you have an opportunity to lay yourself down, to serve somebody, to share the love of Christ with somebody. Make sure your definition of love is God's definition of love because you belong to him. Your life is not yours anymore. How awesome is that? Pretty awesome. Let's bow our head and close our eyes and ask the band to come. Father, thank you for this morning. I thank you for your goodness and your grace. I thank you for Christmas. God, if there's people in this room right now that are being stirred by your spirit to receive you as Lord, that maybe today you've reminded them of your love for them, of what you've done for them, how you reached across from an exalted throne into their broken world, into our broken world, into my broken world. And I saw your love. God, today, let every heart in this place, every soul in this place, behold the great love that you have loved them with, an unending steadfast, everlasting love. That's not going to change tomorrow morning when we wake up and we read our news feed and it's just chaos and discord and movement and change. You're still there and you still love us. We thank you for that. God, I pray that we would surrender to you. 
and that we would surrender to that love. If there's friends in this room today, God, that are wrestling with you to hand over their life to you, to commit themselves to you, God, please break through their heart right now. Draw them to them, draw them to you, God. Let them put their faith and their trust and their hope in you and experience all the love that you have to offer. And for us, for, for, for your church, for your people, God, I pray that our love would not be cheap, that our love would not be defined by us or anything else in this world, but it would be defined by you because you are love. God, that we would see the way that you've loved us. And God, that we would love each other in this room the same exact way. I pray that we would be gracious with each other. That we wouldn't be easily offended by other people's shortcomings and sin. But we would understand exactly that we are the same person. Saved by grace. Saved by the love of Jesus. And God, that we would extend that love and grace to each other that we would be marked with that love of reaching and self-sacrifice, that the world would look upon the church and know that we belong to you. But then God also, the other six days a week when we are not together, pray that your church would be powerfully equipped by your spirit to live your defined love that we would reach. God, as we get together with family over this holiday season, family that might be very different from us, on a different plane, a different planet from us spiritually or whatever, whatever the divides are, God, help us to not let that be an excuse from loving them. Because God, you came down and you loved us. God, whatever we have to lay down, God, if there's marriages in here that are broken and we're having trouble laying ourselves down before each other, God, break through. Let there be humility and softness of heart today so that we can display a God and divine love, love that is sacrificial and ending, not, not hinging on what that other person does. We would love because you love. To our very demise, to our very end, to the end of me, God, let us love. I thank you for this church. I thank you for my friends. God, continue your good work in us. Again, I say it all the time. God, please let us be your church to the glory of your name. Let us be your blood-bought church solely, solely, solely to the glory of Christ. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, let's stand. Let's worship together before we go.